Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Uh, Today we're starting a brand new series called Tough as Nails. And here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me all the way through the end of the series. So I'm going to kind of set it up today. And this is going to last for the next three weeks. And there's going to be parts of this, I'll just give you a heads up, are going to be a little bit heavy. But I think that there is no better time to talk about what we're going to talk about than right now. And in fact, I've been planning on this series for a while. Like when I do a series, I always relate it to a crock pot. Like I get an idea and then it just kind of sits there for a long time. And, and it's all about figuring out when the right time is to preach it. And so literally I've been thinking about this series for probably a year and a half. And this is not what I plan to do after Easter, and it just felt like the right time. Because here's, here's where all of us are at. This is one of the rare times um, in my lifetime where I can preach a series like this, and I don't have to have a lot of qualifiers. Like, hey, some of you are here, some of you feel like this, but some of you, like, everything's great right now. I mean, pretty much everybody has some level of shared emotion around uncertainty, um, anxiety for some of its fear, and I know um, some experience it more than others, but I don't think there's anybody, um, and I'll just talk to those of you in the United States, I know there's those of you outside the United States watching right now, but there's pretty much nobody that hasn't been impacted at some level by COVID-19. Now, here's the thing about it, as I was thinking about this series, this is one of those moments for most of us where what has always seemed really, really distant has become really near. And what I mean by that is this just feels like one of the things that doesn't happen to us. And I'm talking specifically to those of you who are in the West or you're in the United States. It just feels like something that happens somewhere else. It happens in another country. Um, the impact and the uncertainty on the economy and, and just fear about our health and all that's surrounding this, like all the craziness of how this has di- disrupted our life. And we've heard about and we've read about and we've seen things like this, not particularly like this, but like this around the world, but it never seems that close. And now all of a sudden, what is distant or what seems like it generally affects other people has now impacted us. Like in ways that we've never, ever seen. We've never walked through anything like this in our lifetime. Now, here's the good news. Um, if you just talk to Jesus followers of the church, because so, so many times this gets lost. Um, this is not the first time we have walked through something like this, though, in terms of the generations. I know we think it is. Like, here's what cracks me up about um, Christians. And I was going to say I'm not making fun, but actually I am making fun. But immediately something like this happens and all of the, the end of the world memes come out, like all over the place. Like, I think Jesus is coming back tomorrow. It's the end of the world, and and they're quoting verses and pulling stuff out of context in the Old Testament. And maybe Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I hope so. But what cracks me up is stuff like this has been happening for generations, and similar things happen around the world um, on a fairly regular basis. Our country, 1918, went through something similar with an influenza outbreak. But it's so funny because the first time in the United States in our generation where we have to suffer, we just assume it's the end of the world. 
Like, well, this has got to be the end of the world. And other people are in other countries right now who are suffering even in different ways, literally suffering and dying for their faith. And you're like, this has been happening for a while. Like, people have been walking through stuff for a while. And I say all that to say not to diminish what we're walking through. And I hope Jesus comes back tomorrow. But we are not the first people to walk through something like this. And the good news is, as you look at the scripture, and this is the point that I I wanted to come around this series, is that Jesus gives us so much in terms of how we should respond and how we should not respond. And I just want to talk to us specifically over the next three weeks as Jesus followers, but I know that we have a lot of skeptics and cynics joining us, and so here is my upfront hope for you, is that I hope some of you are going to reconsider the whole Jesus thing over the next couple weeks. And and we're inviting you in, and I have so much genuine respect if you're questioning and trying to figure it out, and if you don't know if you have any faith or you lost faith a long time ago. But here's the thing that is true of all of us. I think uncertainty is almost unavoidable at different levels. Like, everybody has probably had some moment of fear, uh, the emotion of fear, the emotion of anxiety. Like, it's just hard to walk through something like this and not have some level of fear. So I just want to answer the question as followers of Jesus as we start today and then track over the next couple of weeks. How should we respond? Like, how should we walk through this? How should we react to all of that uncertainty, potentially all of that fear, and all of that anxiety? And I think to answer that question, you gotta, you gotta go all the way back to the beginning. And I don't mean like the beginning of time. I mean like the beginning of the Jesus movement when all of this gets launched. And some of this is so familiar that we become kind of inoculated to it. Like we just become so familiar that it doesn't have any power. But I think this is the time to reflect on some things that we haven't reflected on in a while. Because I think this is the moment where some stuff that we've read for a long time may have more power than it's ever had before. And I'm just telling you, as you go back to the very beginning, of how the Jesus movement started. My warning is this. We may seem a little weak in comparison. Like we may seem a little soft in comparison. Again, not that what we're walking through isn't legit, but here's what you have to understand. With all that we're walking through right now, you've got to consider how all of this started and the event that set the standard for the whole Jesus movement. Like what what you have to consider as a follower of Jesus is that the epicenter of our faith is a founder that was betrayed by his best friend, and then ultimately he was unjustly arrested, and then he was illegally tried and convicted, and this whole mock just just was ridiculous, and then lied about him again and again and again, and then ultimately he was handed over for maximum punishment so they could make an example out of him even though he had done nothing wrong. And then ultimately they bribed the judge, whose name was Pilate, and the jury and handed him over to be executed. Like that's how our whole movement got started. That is really the opening lines of the weekend that was gonna launch this thing that now 2,000 years later, we're still gathering in Jesus' name. And this literally was the marching orders and the standard for everything that would come behind it. That's who we follow. And Mark, when he's writing about it, writes in Mark 15, 15, and again, I know we're familiar with some of these verses, but Mark, who mainly interviewed Peter, wrote this, that wanting to satisfy the crowd, like think about that for a second. The reason this happened is because they wanted to satisfy the crowd. Because they wanted to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released this guy who'd become infamous and notorious Barabbas to them. 
and they had Jesus flogged. And again, I, I know, like we've, we've heard that so many times and we, we've heard that word even so many times. If I were to actually in detail describe to you what that actually looked like in the first century, a lot of you would have to change the channel or you'd have to just stop watching because it was so horrific that we can't even imagine what they saw, what they smelt, what they felt, what they heard when something like this took place. And in order to satisfy the crowd at the very beginning of our movement, they took our founder and leader and they had him flogged. And generally what that looked like was a whip of about six to eight feet long leather strips on a short handle. And they would tie up somebody who was being executed and flogged first. They would tie their arms up high so that they could inflict the maximum amount of pain. And then two soldiers would grab that whip that was generally lined with stone and rock and steel, and they would begin to rip the flesh off of the back of the person that they were flogging. And there was our founder and our leader, and Mark records all of it. And it says that after this event, Pilate ultimately took Jesus to the Praetorium, which was like Pilate's headquarters, and Matthew sits down and he writes his account, and Matthew was there. Like Matthew saw a lot of this and Matthew says in Matthew 27, 28 that they stripped Jesus and they put a scarlet robe on him and then they twisted together a crown of thorns that we've romanticized and we make decorations on tables on top of linens. They thrust a crown of thorns to mock him into his head and then they put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and they just started to mock him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then verse 30, they spit on him, they took the staff, they struck him on the head again and again and again and again. And then they took him away to be crucified. Now here's the thing. The Romans did not invent crucifixion and torture, but they did perfect it. In fact, the Romans went to unbelievable lengths to figure out how they could squeeze out the maximum amount of torture and the maximum amount of time so that somebody would really suffer. And so they made sure that they designed it in such a way that death was the ultimate goal, but they didn't want to get there too soon. Because they wanted to make an example out of every single individual, every single outlaw who was ultimately convicted, tried, and executed, and in this case, unjustly, they wanted to make an example so that every single individual would fear Rome. They would fear ever messing with the Roman Empire. And in fact, if you were a little Jewish boy or girl, this was just the reality of your growing up, you would literally, as a toddler into elementary age, you would watch rotting corpses on Roman crosses. And so they took Jesus to be crucified under the the Roman crucifixion that had been perfected, and you know some of the details. Again, like you've heard this so many times. But they took spikes, and they jammed them between two bones in the wrists, and they took one spike into his feet. And so there would be three spikes, the feet would be together, and they designed it in such a way that they would have to thrust up onto those spikes in order to get breath because generally the way that they died on the cross was of asphyxiation where they just couldn't breathe. And so they would be there and they would lift themselves up with incredible agony, incredible torture, get a breath and then hoist themselves back down and then they would do it all again. 
And the cross generally, we have these ideas because, again, the pictures that we've seen that the cross is high and lifted up and everybody's looking up to it. That's not how a, a Roman cross was. It was literally their feet were inches off the ground. And the cross would be designed at face level so that everybody who was standing around the cross, because, again, the goal was torture, the goal was humiliation, and the goal was death. And so everybody who saw someone being executed, they could stare them face to face, eyeball to eyeball in order to mock and humiliate and degrade them. And there Jesus is, the founder and the leader of the Jesus movement on a cross a few inches from the ground with spikes between his bones about to suffocate and their eyeball to eyeball throwing insults, humiliating him and degrading him. And then Matthew says it this way, that as he's bleeding to death and grasping for air and they're mocking him, those who passed by in Matthew 27, 39, hurled insults at him and shook their heads saying, you're gonna destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you really are the son of God. Like you saved others, but he can't save himself. And end of verse 42, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. And it happened hour after hour after hour. Now here's the thing that you just have to consider. Jesus did not get caught somehow fleeing to Egypt. Jesus didn't get run down because he was on his way to En Gedi to hide out in the place that David ultimately hid out when he was running from Saul. He, he didn't get caught as he was trying to somehow get to a port city and run away. We're talking about our leader and our founder, the person who initiated and started the whole movement, rode into Jerusalem on Main Street in broad daylight, knowing that they were looking for him, wanted to arrest him, and wanted to execute him. They didn't find him trying to flee to some faraway country. They found him as he rode into Jerusalem and looked them in the eye, knowing exactly what they wanted to do to him. Now, here's the thing. Here's where I think part of the problem lies, is that every movie you have ever watched has gotten it wrong. Basically, every picture, and I'm not being critical, like, it's hard to get it, so it's not, like, it's not their ultimate responsibility. They got to get it right, but most of the pictures and the films that you've seen, they just got it wrong. In fact, I think this picture is going to show up. This is generally what you see when you see a picture of Jesus. Are you seeing it? Um, by the way, in the West, I know this will keep you up at night. He wasn't white, but like generally this is the picture of Jesus. And I just want to tell you, like this Jesus wouldn't have done any of those things. This Jesus wouldn't have threatened anybody. I'm not sure anybody would follow this guy. This is not the picture that you get as you read the New Testament, I'm just telling you. Because you look at the New Testament, you read the New Testament, I know like the other pictures that I almost included were like petting a sheep and you know, very like soft-spoken, feathered hair Jesus. Like it just doesn't give you the picture of the fact that Jesus was the ultimate disruptive force coming into humanity. Like, like think about Jesus starting his ministry and he never talked to the people they thought that he should talk to. He constantly confronted the religious leaders to their face. He constantly walked toward danger. He walked into the temple and rather than take his rightful place at the table with the religious leaders, he started flipping their tables over. And then literally single-handedly, he drove everybody out of the temple. 
Because the religious system had moved to a place where they placed profit over people. And Jesus, who was the ultimate disruptive force, who over and over again predicted, hey, eventually I'm going to dismantle your whole religious system and introduce something brand new. And he goes into the temple and he drives everybody out of the temple. And here's what I love as you read that interaction. They don't ask who this is. The question that they ask is, by what authority do you do this? Meaning, everywhere Jesus went, there was authority. There was strength. In fact, they would listen to him teach. And in their words in the New Testament, they would say, nobody teaches with the authority that this man teaches with. And when Jesus walked into the temple... They didn't ask, who are you? They asked, where did you get this authority from? Because even his staunchest enemies knew that there was something different about him. And you just need to understand, because I think we so easily lose this, that Jesus spoke, Jesus acted, Jesus led, Jesus walked with unbelievable authority, and he really was the boldest leader you can imagine. He was bold, He was fearless, he was braver than hell, and literally he turned out to be as tough as nails. And Luke records it that ultimately that Jesus, the man with that authority, with all that he did, says to me, says to you, says to everybody who's come to that moment where they place their faith and trust in Jesus, he says to you in light of all of that, follow me. Follow me. In fact, Luke writes that, that this is what Jesus summarized this as looking like in Luke 9, 23. And again, like this, this verse doesn't always mean a lot to us, but one day Jesus is with his guys and he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple needs to deny themselves. And that may mean different things in a different context, but in in our context, it's, hey, there's gonna be a moment where the reality of your life and what you're walking through and your faith and how all of that intersects together, there is going to be a moment where you are going to have to deny you. You're gonna have to deny your relentless effort to control everything and submit to the fact that you have no control. There's going to be a moment where you have to deny yourself and deny your desire for self-preservation and realize that there are moments that your faith is going to demand that you put you second and it's going to demand that you give up all of your control and it's it's going to demand that you deny yourself of trying to obtain all of the certainty for your future. And in that moment, you will be called to walk by faith when you cannot see where you are going. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you're my disciple, if you're my follower, there's going to be a moment where you have to deny yourself and deny what you want and deny your comfort and take up what honestly has simply become jewelry for most of us and really lame artifacts that sit on shelves and overplayed ornaments in churches that are so routine and mundane that we look at them and we feel nothing. But to everybody in the first century and Jesus' initial followers, when they were listening to Jesus in this moment, they got the impact of what Jesus was saying. Hey, listen, if you wanna follow me, there's gonna be a moment where you gotta deny yourself and you gotta take up your cross and you have to follow me. 
You have to follow me when it feels safe. You have to follow me when you're benefiting from it. You have to follow me when you're walking out of comfortable services at 72 degrees and the marriage series was great and I got a lot out of that and I'm gonna go apply that and then you go to your job and you're complaining because your mouse doesn't work but like you're living a pretty comfortable life and I, like you're gonna need to follow me and deny yourself in those moments but then there's gonna come a time where you're gonna need to deny me or you're gonna need to follow me and deny yourself when it doesn't feel safe, when it doesn't benefit you when there's very little certainty and you don't know what's ahead. And come on, Jesus knew. Like Jesus knew the propensity in every single heart for security, for self-preservation, for safety. I mean, like that's in everybody. We were created for that. We were created to pursue that. But Jesus in this moment is going, listen, if you wanna know how to respond when things get uncertain, watch what I did. If you want to know how to respond when you don't know what is next or when there is something to be afraid of, I want you to watch me. I want you to do what I did. I want you to respond the way that I responded. I want you to follow me. And Jesus said it this way. Matthew, again, who was close with Jesus, who spent a lot of time, Matthew recorded it that Jesus said it like this. Do not be afraid of those who can only kill your body. We looked at this several weeks ago. Hey, hey, Jesus is like, don't be afraid of the one or the, the person or the thing, whatever it is, that can only kill your body. Don't be afraid of what can only take your body, only kill your body, only destroy your body, but instead cannot kill the soul. And, and rather, end of verse 28, be afraid there is a greater fear. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. And Jesus' whole point was just this. I know you're gonna be afraid. I know you're gonna feel the emotion of fear. I know you're gonna feel anxiety. I know there's gonna be uncertainty. And he's talking to a group of guys that were gonna experience it in ways that we can't even imagine. Like Jesus knew the world was scary. Jesus knew the world was messed up better than anybody. It's not what he designed. Sin infested planet Earth was not the Garden of Eden. And ultimately, God wants to return us to the Garden of Eden. And so this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he knew that we would be tempted to play it safe. He knew that we would be tempted to live in fear. And in this moment, Jesus is going, listen, I just want to reframe things for you. There is a greater fear. And if you are going to be in awe of anything, when that fear comes, when that anxiety comes, when uncertainty begins to play you, just remember this one fact. There is something that should lead you to a place to have greater awe and greater fear because there is someone who has more power and control than just being able to control or harm your body, but literally has power and control over your soul. And then Jesus followed it up with what we looked at several weeks ago, and I'm just gonna real quick read these verses, but, but the ultimate object lesson where Jesus is on the water and, and all of his disciples are scared out of their mind because they're in the middle of a storm, and that took a lot because these guys had been in storm after storm after storm. They were professional fishermen. There is nothing they hadn't seen. And yet they're in the midst of a storm that was unlike any storm that they had ever experienced before. And, and you know the story, right? Jesus is in the bottom of the boat sleeping. He's got a wool blanket on. He's out. And I don't know if he's really out or I don't know if he's like one eye is open. He's like, dude, I'm setting you guys up. But there Jesus is sleeping and they're terrified and they're panicking. And, and in Matthew 8, 26, again, Matthew records the story Jesus replied to these guys in the midst of all their panic, hey, you guys, you have so little faith. 
why are you so afraid? And the answer is obvious to them. We're afraid because there's everything in the world to be afraid of right now. Like, we, we may lose our life, and in this moment, Jesus is like, do you guys not remember what I told you? Don't be afraid of what can only harm your body, but has no power and no ability to touch your soul, that has no ability to control your destiny, has no ability to control your future. Man, guys, don't be afraid of anything or anyone who can only harm you physically, but cannot touch, cannot alter, cannot do anything to your soul. And I think in this moment, he's saying to all these guys, listen, you have so much faith when things are great. You have so much faith when I'm feeding 5,000 people. You have so much faith when I'm touching blind people on the way into the temple. It's so easy in that moment. Now it's the moment where I want you to follow me and walk by faith when it's not easy. And you're not certain. And so then, so powerful, he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, told him to back up. And it was completely calm. And the men, this is an understatement, were amazed and asked, this is the greatest question, what kind of man is this that he has authority even over the wind and the waves? And we looked at this a few weeks ago, but Mark includes the original Greek in the the noun verb form that literally means that they feared in this moment a great fear. That their latter fear overwhelmed their former fear. That in this moment, their fear changed. And suddenly, they are not afraid of the storm any longer. They are afraid of the one that has the power to control the storm. And Jesus in this moment is punctuating the point, hey guys, why are you afraid of what can only harm the body but cannot control the wind and the waves and the world and systems and governments and people and diseases and viruses and death and your own soul? And in this moment, Jesus is basically saying, listen, guys, if you're going to be afraid, fear God. If you're gonna be afraid, not fear like God's after you, the awe and reverence you are over, you are in control of, and you have everything in your hand. And he's reframing everything for the guys in this moment to go, listen, don't be afraid of what can only touch your body. And if you are going to be afraid of anything in those moments where anxiety and uncertainty want to overwhelm you, you gotta redirect and you gotta refocus and fear the one who has all power if you are going to be afraid, fear me, fear God. And so Jesus says, in the meantime, as you're walking this journey as part of my movement, the invitation to you is follow me. Follow me. Follow your leader. Follow your founder. Follow the one who is at the epicenter of this whole movement. And I think he says to us, listen, Uncertainty and the emotion of uncertainty and the emotion of fear and the emotion of anxiety, because those are just emotions that you feel. Uncertainty is unavoidable. You have no control over that. But here's what Jesus taught, that living your life in fear is optional. Living your life handcuffed and imprisoned and huddled up and self-preserving 
in fear and anxiety and as the result of uncertainty is optional. And to Jesus' followers, he would say, listen, I want you to refuse to be controlled by intimidated by and influenced by fear. And you do have power. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you just need to go back to the roots of your faith. And when the night shift starts working, like the enemy always works the night shift where he starts whispering in your ear about all of the inevitabilities or the uncertainty of the future. And Jesus is like, you need to shut it down in that moment to go, there is something to be afraid of. I do feel fear. I do feel anxiety. Yes, there are things that are uncertain about my future, but I am not going to fear what can only touch the body, but cannot touch my soul. And there is one that is greater than, bigger than, and has authority over all things. And in this moment, I am redirecting my emotions to the one who controls all things and to Jesus who says to me in the midst of uncertainty, I want you to respond the way that I have responded. Follow me. Shut down the voices of fear. Uncertainty is unavoidable, but Jesus taught that fear is optional. And think about this, because sometimes we just need to be reminded that is our story. That's the story of the Jesus movement. That's the story of the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. A guy by the name of Paul who literally is beaten almost to death. He's left for dead in the New Testament. It's recorded in Acts. He's about to lose his life. His, his executioners leave him on the road ultimately for the animals to just tear his flesh apart. And after getting stoned almost to death, <laughs> Paul eventually gets back up and he doesn't flee to some faraway place to go, I put in my time, that was a close call, I'm done. Instead, Paul went right back to preaching. And he began to go into villages and cities against shipwreck and false accusation and persecution and over and over and over again, enduring things that we can't even imagine. And then toward the end of his life in Acts 21, it records, come on, these are the guys on whom shoulders we stand that led out this movement under the example of Jesus. And Paul in Acts 21 is gonna go back to Jerusalem. And all of those in the churches know that if Paul goes back to Jerusalem, it's not gonna end well. They're gonna take his life. He's gonna be handed over to Nero. He's gonna be tried by Rome. He's gonna be executed and it's so powerful. In Acts chapter 21, Paul looks at those people and all of them with tears in their eyes and Paul says to them, I will never see your face again. But I've been called to this. And Jesus has given me a mission and so I gotta go. And he goes to Jerusalem and he's tried by Nero. And he's ultimately taken out probably under the cover of early morning darkness and he's executed. But in between that time, he's in prison writing you letters. And little did they know in that moment, because in those moments in the first century, Zeus and Jupiter were inspiring people to go into Colosseums and kill. This was the moment after following the example of Jesus that Jesus' followers were willing and inspired to go into those same Colosseums and die. 
because they knew that there was one who had control over their soul and they did not need to be afraid over those who simply control the body. And 2,000 years later, there is no Roman Empire, but the writings of Paul are all over the world, have dominated the globe and have completely changed the West because he took Jesus' example and invitation to follow him even when there was something to be afraid of. That's our story. That's why we're here. That's the story of Christianity. And come on, first century Christians who literally were, this isn't folklore, were fed to animals because they wouldn't bow to Caesar. And it's so interesting because one of the documents that has survived antiquity, that it literally by just a pagan doctor who was there in the Colosseums who had examined bodies because Rome had this practice that, that you could not examine a dead body, it had to immediately go to burial. So they would examine dying bodies in the middle of the Colosseum. And this doctor wrote and his writings survived that during this time where Christians were fearless, they were bold, it didn't even seem like they were afraid of death. He wrote this as he examined bodies in the Colosseums. He said, for fearlessness of death, for fearlessness of death, and the hereafter is something that we witness in them every day. And then sociologist Rodney Stark, I don't know if you know the story of how we got started, says that the primary reason for the spread of the Jesus movement was the way that followers in the first century responded to the sick without fear. In fact, in AD 165, there was an epidemic that broke out to where every, every pagan priest in all of the villages just cut and run. People let, led and fled as quickly as they could because Zeus and Jupiter and the gods, they didn't inform compassion. That wasn't known among the gods. They would literally leave sick and dying people on the roads. And it was the Jesus followers that would go into these villages at the risk of their life and nurse people back to health. And later on, Tertullian wrote this, that compassion and fearlessness became the brand of the new movement, even among its opponents, that they didn't believe it, but they couldn't deny it. They were more compassionate and they were more fearless than anyone they had ever seen. And there's only one reason for that, because they served a man who walked into Jerusalem with his face set toward Jerusalem, knowing all that he would endure. And then he told them, hey, in the midst of uncertainty, do not be afraid of what can only touch the body, but cannot touch your soul. Follow me. Come on, every time you pick up an English Bible or you're looking at your English Bible on your phone right now, like it was translated into English by a guy by the name of William Tyndale that ultimately was considered a fugitive, was ultimately rested, arrested, was ultimately strangled and then was burned at the stake. Like that's how you got the translation of your English Bible. And then two years after that incident, King Henry declared it the official Bible of all of England. And my whole point is just this. We serve a savior that in the midst of unbelievable uncertainty, unbelievable fear, unbelievable, his disciples going, we don't know what's gonna happen next. Did not shy away, did not run away, but entered into suffering, entered into pain, entered into all of it and said, listen, I'm setting an example for you. This is the epicenter of this new movement called Christianity to be a follower of Jesus. And there's gonna become a moment where you're probably not gonna have to do any of those things, but you will have to deny yourself. 
You will have to take up a cross and you will have to follow me. And in that moment of uncertainty and in that moment of fear and in that moment of suddenly it doesn't benefit you, but suddenly you have to walk by faith. It's in that moment that you're closest to me. You are most like me. And it's in that moment that you join a chorus of people throughout all of the generations that knew this was the story of following Jesus. We are not home yet, but there is somebody who controls our home and controls our destiny and controls our soul, and he says to us, you have nothing to be afraid of because the only thing that anything or anybody can do is touch your body that cannot hinder or touch your soul. Follow me, live without fear. This is the epicenter of what it means to be a part of my movement and my ecclesia, church. So I just wanna end with these questions. I know this is super heavy. But I think this is the moment to teach this more than any other moment. And rather than me just end with a bunch of inspiration, lead us back because so many of us forget history and so many of us get into a moment where we think we're the only ones who's walked through anything like this and and suddenly the world is gonna end where maybe this is actually the moment of unbelievable opportunity where we get the privilege to follow when it doesn't benefit us or follow when there's a little bit of uncertainty and follow when there's actually something to fear and follow when we get the privilege and the responsibility and the stewardship to actually walk by faith. And so the questions are just this, and I don't know the answer to these questions, but I think you gotta consider them. Is our version of Christianity, is it worth that? Like, is our version of Christianity worth that? Meaning, the way we are living and the way that we are walking through uncertainty, the way that we are confronting fear and confronting anxiety, is our version of Christianity Is it worth that? Let let me ask it a different way. Is the way that we live right now, is the way that we live, let's just get real specific, through what we're walking through with COVID-19 and I lost my job and all of that is a big deal and there is fear and there is uncertainty and, and some have experienced unbelievable trauma. But is the way that we live right now through this, is it worth the price that they paid? Is the way that we live, is the way that we walk through uncertainty in this season, is it worth the price that they paid? And come on, I say this as graciously as I can, but would Peter and Mary and Paul, would they look at us and go, you're afraid of what? You're afraid of what? Hey, I get it. Uncertainty is unavoidable. It's not optional. You have no control over it. You do have control over fear. And you just need to know whether you believe it right now or not, or you feel like it is unattainable right now in the moment. I get that, I understand that. But you just need to know if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Jesus taught. This is the foundation of our faith. I know that it's in some ways not that popular and not that much talked about. It's easier to just preach messages of if you just believe enough and have enough faith, everything's gonna work out. The only problem with that message, it tends to only work in the West. Jesus brought a message for all of the globe in all generations that work when things are good and work when things are not good. And the message of Jesus and following Jesus is not opposed to sometimes walking through suffering and uncertainty, but we can follow fearlessly anyway. And so Jesus says to us, uncertainty is unavoidable. The feelings of fear are unavoidable. 
But living in fear is optional. And you in this moment maybe have been given a privilege that you have never been given in your life before. And that is to follow Jesus in extraordinary uncertainty. And I think he would say to us, don't waste it. I mean, just so you know, first century church, the reason that you're here 2,000 years later is because there was a group of people that were branded even among their opponents for fearlessness and compassion. So Jesus says, take up your cross, deny you and follow me. In the midst of uncertainty, step out in faith anyway. In the midst of not knowing what's next, give generously financially anyway. In the midst of not knowing where you're gonna go on the other side of this, pray believing and pray with faith anyway. When you're tempted to self-preserve and protect and think primarily about you, reach out anyway. Follow me. And when the voices of fear and the voice of, uh, voices of anxiety, and when the enemy starts working the night shift in your life to speak and to whisper things that are contrary to the promises that he's made, you need to look up and you need to declare maybe out loud, I'm a follower of Jesus. I will not be intimidated by influenced by or imprisoned by the voices of fear and uncertainty any longer. I serve a risen Savior, and there is nothing or nobody that can do anything to the thing that matters the most, and that is controlling my soul and controlling my destiny. And so, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm following a man who rode into Jerusalem, and he embraced death on my behalf. And then he conquered death on behalf of the world. And so he says to you, to us, follow me. And I get it, I know that's a lot. And I just wanna encourage you as we end this message, you need to tune in next week. So I cannot, I cannot plead with you enough to track with us, but, but I, just, I just wanna end with that no matter where you are. And I just wanna invite you to pray if you're watching a living room in a kitchen or somewhere around the country in this moment. I think Jesus' invitation right now is not to not feel what you feel. You can bring all those emotions and all of those feelings. But I think all of us need to be reminded of where we're coming from and what we're a part of and the rhythm of what this movement looks like. And so would you, wherever you're at, would you just pray with me in this moment? And you can bow your head, you can close your eyes. You don't have to do that. But wherever you're at, would you just pray with me? And I wanna specifically right now in this moment talk to those who are followers of Jesus. And what that means is you've come to the place to go, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sin. I believe that three days later you rose again. And I've placed my faith and trust in you to forgive me and to save me, to become a son or a daughter of God. So right now, let me just pray for you in this moment. Lord, I just pray. God, just for your almost physical presence to be felt and experienced by those who are walking through so much fear, so much uncertainty, so much unknown. And Lord, I pray that they wouldn't deny what they feel, they wouldn't deny what they've walked through, they wouldn't deny the pain. And, and this week, we've walked with so many people just in the course of these few days who are walking through all kinds of tragedy. So Lord, I pray that they would, they would embrace that, they would own it, they wouldn't try to deny it. But God, I pray even this moment for hundreds, maybe thousands of followers of Jesus that you would just lift our heads up, that you would renew our perspective, 
that you would help us maybe to look back a little bit before we look forward and realize that in a lot of ways we are in a unique position right now, in a unique moment. But it is not unique in terms of all of human history and it is not unique in terms of our story as followers of Jesus. And so Lord, I don't know how this will be received by everybody, but I just, there's some that, that are leaning in to receive it right now in this moment. And Lord, I just, I just wanna pray for those of us who, Lord, wanna see you move through this, that we would embrace this opportunity as a stewardship to grow in faith, to live in faith when there is something to fear, to walk and follow you in uncertainty when it's not benefiting us maybe the way it has in the past or it's not quite as easy. And Lord, I pray for some of us, this would be the moment that we understand that verse in a way that we've never understood it before, that Jesus is inviting us to in some things in our life right now where like we've just resisted that instead we're gonna give up ourselves and deny ourselves and give up some of our control and take up our cross and follow you because you have promised to be with us every step of the way. And Lord, lastly, I just pray for some of us, there would be such a movement of the spirit of God in us right now to just speak over our lives the reality of the fact that there is something to fear, but there is nothing or nobody that can impact what matters most to us and can control our destiny. And if we're gonna be afraid, God, we're gonna fear you. We're gonna be in awe of you. We're gonna have reverence of you. We're gonna lean into the one who has control over all of the world, our soul, our destiny. And Lord, I just wanna pray for those right now that have never placed their faith and trust in you. And I just wanna give them that opportunity. So if you're listening right now and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus and you're wanting to know what does it mean to follow Jesus, it all starts right here. It always, all starts with a decision. And Jesus said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you can just pray this after me. It's not the prayer that saves you, but your declaration of faith. So right where you're at, if you wanna begin to follow Jesus, the invitation is this, just to pray, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and I believe that you rose again. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me, to save me. And the scripture says the moment that you believe that in your heart, regardless of the words of your mouth, that you become a follower of Jesus, you become a son and a daughter of God. And now your journey and relationship with Jesus can really begin. So I just wanna encourage you as we close. If you are brand new in this journey of following Jesus, or if you have questions about faith, we wanna help people take next steps, not just watch a service. So the thing that you can do right now is text CC Start to 94000, CC Start to 94000. And we wanna invite you into a digital group called Starting Point that begins at the end of this month, April 30th. So if you text that, CC Start to 94000, we will send you a link, give you information about how to register, but we wanna help you take a next step. We wanna help you begin to get questions answered. And then last thing, some of you have made a decision right now, right here, a decision to surrender your fear, to deny yourself, and to really follow Jesus. Others of you, this was the moment for the first time that you've placed your faith and trust in Christ. And so if that's you, whatever your decision is, would you text right now, CC, I have decided. 
CC, I have decided to 94000. We're gonna send you a link. We would love to know how God has spoken to you today, what decisions you've made, and then send you some information about that decision. Would you just pray with me as our worship team leads us out? Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment, all over the place, among people and, and in spaces that we'll never know about. But I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that we stand in the line of people who have set an example and have paved the way for us even to be here today and talking about this. And so Lord, I pray that maybe in the midst for some of us of faithlessness that we'd be able to grab a hold of some of their faith and realize that the same God that led those first century Christians to be compassionate and fearless is the same God that we follow today. And I pray in this moment for many of us that we'd see in a new way what it means to follow Jesus. And so I pray this and ask this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.